All right, guys, with the dust settling after UFC 254, there are a lot of things to talk about. We saw one of the greatest to do it, possibly for the last time. So many other great fights on the card, and there's one person we got on that is kind enough to stay up late yet again and join us at 2.30 in the morning from Fight Island. You know, from her amazing work, they should really change it to Sanko Island at this point. Laura Sanko, welcome to Submission Radio. It's great to have you. Always good to be here, guys. I, uh, you got me again. I'm such a sucker for talking fights. But you don't, you don't have to whisper. You don't have to whisper because the family's no, sleeping in the other room. You can yell as loud as you want. There's actually, there's actually a club just on the other side of the bay where this hotel is. And they, they're thumping to like, well, yeah, about this time every night. So, yeah, it's pretty standard that there's a lot of noise going on at the W here. So, yeah, I can be loud as I want. Awesome, awesome. This look, your, your hotel suite looks like something from an action movie where somebody would get smashed through the glass and the fight would ensue into the, uh, the club floor. But this is a nice little tradition we've got going on with you, Laura. So we appreciate it. Obviously, a lot to unpack and a lot to digest from UFC 254. Before we talk about, you know, one of the greatest retirements in MMA history, just obviously want to get your thoughts on the fight itself. Justin Gaethje seen as a guy who really could have challenged Khabib's throne and, you know, maybe take that belt from him. And we saw yet again another dominant performance from Khabib. A really fun fight while it lasted. What did you make of the actual action in the fight uh, this time around? I was blown away, and it's it's um, it's unusual that you can be blown away by someone who has already been so dominant, right? It almost becomes the expectation. It becomes the bar. So for him to go out there and make uh, my jaw, and I think a lot of other people's jaws drop uh, again tonight, is just it's incredible. It's remarkable, and I uh, I have to eat my I have to eat my own words because I'm not going to lie. I saw this fight going very differently, and and as the week was unfolding, I was really starting to have um, some thoughts about Justin Gaethje being able to get this done. You know, I was formulating in my mind that oh, Habib's never faced a D1 wrestler. Um, you know, you you saw what Ally Quinta was able to do in very short notice in terms of stopping the takedown. You know. Uh, Justin Gaethje's precision and high volume striking, the pressure that he brings, and every bit of that was completely turned on its head in this fight. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that struck me about this fight was it seemed like, and I don't know if he did it consciously, maybe he did, but it seemed like he was out there to yet again prove another point because not only did he spend almost the entirety of the first round striking, he was pressure striking, and when he did take it to the ground, it was not his usual wrist wrap, look to dominate with ground and pound and chip away and just sort of break the will of the other person. He was immediately looking for submissions, and not just chokes, he was looking for arm bars and ultimately the triangle, and it felt to me like it was his way of capping off this incredible career and saying, no, I really am this well-rounded fighter and you guys just never quite fully appreciated it. Mm, that's a fantastic point. So from your perspective, you don't think it had anything to do with the weight cut. I know that we had that weight situation the other day that people were talking all about and people saying, if this goes into the later rounds, you know, this might be Gaethje's fight. And of course it never entered the late rounds. You think it was more so Khabib just trying to make a point here? I, he called a submission victory, and I, I'd have to go through my notes, but I could swear he called a second-round submission victory. Um, I think he came out there with a very specific intent and with a motivation that I don't think you or I 
Lever stand, and that was to to put a stamp not only on his legacy, on this fight, on his career, but on his father's career as his coach. You know, it wasn't. It, it sounds kind of cheesy to say he wasn't just out there fighting for himself, but that's a very literal thing tonight. You know, it's he was not only putting a stamp on his legacy; he was putting a stamp on his father's legacy. When you're motivated by things like that, and and you are as skilled as Habib is. It, it, you, you can do about anything you want to do out there. I mean, I do think that he had a rough weight cut, and I do think that that scale looked a little <laughs> uh, not settled, but whatever. We're past that at this point. It doesn't matter. Um, he learned the moves of Daniel Cormier. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> he wasn't touching the towel, mm. but he had a very friendly... Double wrist grab at the start. Hopefully uh, gravity doesn't take its course too quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But, um, no, I think... I, I will say, though, I do think that there was urgency created by the leg kicks that Justin Gaethje was landing, for sure. I mean, I don't think uh, maybe three more really well-connected leg kicks like that, um, and we would have potentially seen uh, the tide start to change. So I do think that there was urgency created by what Justin was bringing to the table as well. Mm, absolutely. And also, Dana White saying that apparently Khabib had a broken foot. I don't know if you guys yes. heard it at the post-fight press conference three weeks ago, and that would explain everything. Tough weight cut. How are you losing weight if you've got a broken foot, right? You, you can't, can't do drop. your running. You can't do your sprinting. And also the urgency, knowing that you've got that foot and it's a problem to you, you want to try and get that fight finished quickly. And there was a sense of urgency, and there was a sense of, all right, I'm going in here to get this job done by Khabib, which he did successfully. But I want to talk about Justin Gaethje for a second here, Laura, because... This is a man that came out here and he was kind of seemingly unraveled a little bit at the start of the fight. There was no real game plan. And he even saw Trevor Whitman kind of telling him, look, calm down, throw those leg kicks, bring everything together. It kind of seems like he had a little bit of success. And when he did, you really saw those flashes of what could have happened in the fight if he was kind of a little bit more settled going in from the very beginning. Do you think Justin Gaethje, was, it, was, was the moment too much for him? Was it having your parents there? Was it the fact there's so much riding on this? It seemed like all week long, even in the face-offs, you know, him shaking his arm a little bit, he, he kind of seemed a little bit nervous, a little bit, not, not. A, I don't want to say he was unsure of himself because he was definitely sure of himself, but it kind of seemed like he, the, the moment kind of got to him a little bit. Uh, I, I can, I can see that. I can see that. There were, um, there were interactions maybe that I saw at the hotel where I, I would, I I wouldn't disagree with that. That's not the first thing I go to, though. I think um, I've never seen I've never seen Habib fight with that level of pressure before, mm. and I don't know. It, it, and I don't know if Justin's ever faced anybody that has just completely disrespected his power like that. And it's it's crazy. I mean, you think about fighting someone like Tony, and we always kind of lovingly joke that Tony's got a screw loose. You know, in 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 the most respectful way possible, Habib had a screw loose tonight. I mean, to wade into the fire and to deliver the level of pressure that he was delivering to Justin Gaethje, who lands almost eight significant strikes per minute, the highest rate in the history of the company, and Habib went out there and flipped the script and became the busier fighter and was just right in his face. I mean, Justin couldn't, you know, and I. Normally, when you've got a guy pressuring, the other guy panic shoots. But Justin Gaethje's not going to panic shoot on Habib. That's just dumb, right? I mean, he's a good wrestler, but he made it clear, why would I take you know, the difficult path to victory? So when you've got a pressure fighter 
who doesn't have the threat of a panic takedown. I mean, Katie bar the door. It was like, just, you could just see this feeling of Justin just needed, man, just a few minutes to breathe. He just couldn't settle into the fight. He couldn't find his range. You know, when we saw him fight Tony, it was that mastery of range, the angles, the footwork that he was able to, to implement. And he was able to be patient because Tony allowed him to be patient in that fight. And then we saw a different version, a higher level version of Justin Gaethje. And Habib completely took that out of the equation. There's no way that you can be patient when you are dealing with the type of pressure that Habib brought in this fight. Mm. And I love Habib, you're absolutely right, Laura. And I love Habib's ability to stay calm and composed even amidst the chaos and to sort of make Justin Gaethje be on the back foot and not be able to have as much power on those punches. You know, throwing things like flying knees and just being creative and being able to experiment in the fight was just a, a phenomenal thing to see. But then comes the retirement. Then comes the moment that I feel like no one was really that shocked by, but no one really wanted to see it either. We wanted Habib to get to 30 and 0. That was his father's dream and his father's plan you know what did you make of this retirement did it surprise you in any way and I guess do you think it it it, it sticks I I guess it I guess it did and didn't surprise me at the same time I mean I think I, I thought he would get to 30 you know because that was kind of the narrative that that was as you say his father's plan and it seemed like that was a very special goal to him but when you heard him say you know the conversations that took place between him and his mom um, you can see, you know, you can see why he, he made that change tonight. And, and, and listening to Javier Mendez in the lead up to this fight, talk about the differences in the camp. And I think he even used the word lonely, you know, it was a lonely fight week for Habib. You're stuck in your room. Like this is a beautiful hotel, obviously. <laughs> um, but it's also, it's kind of a lonely place. I'm not going to lie. Like there's not the hubbub of, um, some fight weeks in Las Vegas just because of the COVID situation. Everybody kind of keeps to their rooms and we've all got our masks on. It's just a very like isolated feeling. And you pile that on top of not having um, your father, your coach, your pillar, your, you know, the cornerstone of the reason you're even on this journey to begin with, not be here. I can understand. I can completely understand why he thought, you know what, I'm just never going to do this again. Not without not without my dad. So um, if I, in terms of do I think it sticks, I do. I think Habib is, has a different level of principles than a lot of people do. I think a lot of fighters, it's not that everybody's out there trying to pull stunts and you know retire and then unretire. I just think people, they waver in their feelings and MMA is a drug that's very hard to quit. It's the hardest, I've never done drugs before actually. Acting like I know, but it, from what I can tell, it is it is the hardest drug to quit because there's never a, a good time, right? There's never a good time to retire. And if you retire on top, you feel like you left something on the table. And if, if you wait too long, it's just, it's a mess and no one wants to see it. So um, I don't, I don't think we'll see him back. I think he is a, is a man of his principles and a man of his word. And um, I think that's the last we're going to see. I, I was actually, I left the arena because because he didn't do press. I, I left the arena a little bit earlier than I normally would. And I was waiting outside for a shuttle to come back to the hotel. And I was about to get on and they said, sorry, I don't, you know, we don't mean to be rude, but we need you to stay back because Khabib wants to leave and, and not do any media. So I actually 
was this weird moment, like, catching And you him. said, no, I'm Laura Sanko, and I need to do an interview with Submission Radio. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Get him to walk home. <laughs> Laura would not have a job. Laura would not have a job. Um, but it was this weird moment of watching him walk out of the arena for the last time and get on this bus. And it was just like, it was, I kind of wanted to cry. Mm. It was so, um, it was bittersweet. You know, I'm, I'm happy for him and what he was able to achieve. But as the fan in me is like, you know, I want more. Yeah. And it's interesting because obviously the next big fight was going to be him and GSP. But in a lot of ways, him retiring kind of keeps two legacies intact. You've got GSP who now won't be coming back at 40, potentially coming down to 155. And potentially, you know, putting a, some a different ending to his legacy that's been super impressive, and also Khabib not taking on possibly one of the toughest fights that he could have in his career as well in GSP. I'm curious though, 29 and 0 champion, incredible performances, especially tonight against Justin Gaethje, a guy who went through Tony Ferguson like that. Um, where do you rank uh, Khabib's legacy, what he's done in the sport, and uh, on the pound for pound list? And I hate talking about this because I don't really think pound for pound is even a thing. But, yeah. um, I mean, hypothetically, where would he kind of rank for you in terms of some of the other incredible legacies the fighters have left in that octagon? He's certainly up there. I mean, I think in terms of current, I mean, it's hard to say current because he just retired. But in terms of recent uh, individuals that we would throw in that mix, I do think he's I do think he's pound for pound uh, the greatest. Um the man has never been. The man's never been beaten, and I think there was some debate. But he's either lost lost one or two rounds. I mean that that cannot be said of anyone else, even John. And um, I don't personally like bringing John's issues outside of the octagon into that equation. But it's hard not to when you look at someone um, who has lived the type of life that Habib lives as well. It's hard not to kind of make that like a little asterisk in your head you know um when it comes to greatest of all time though he's got stiff competition he's got really stiff competition he's got people that defended their belts 10 11 12 times he's got people that cleared out now you could argue that he cleared out a division but you could also argue that they were maybe i hate saying this on a night that he retired you know i feel like i'm taking away but you could argue that there were maybe a couple chips left on the table mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um the tony fight that we'll never get to see and 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 others as well so you know and, and beating beating connor was incredible and connor i'm i'm of the belief that connor is a very good fighter but um that doesn't have the same level you know, the owl fight, things like that, I, I don't think fully compare to someone's entire legacy, um, maybe the way John does. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to answer. I like your points, Laura, because it keeps things open and open-minded, and that's really what it is. I don't think there really is one goat or one number one pound for pound. I think it's kind of like different depending on whose lens you see it from. But looking at Khabib, I feel like some of the fairy tale retirements in MMA – like, say, for Fedor or Anderson Silva, that's what people hoped they would look like. And today, Khabib did that. Undefeated, 29-0, never knocked down, never cut in his career. Just a, a phenomenal retirement. I think undisputed best lightweight of all time and the best yeah. probably retirement in, in MMA. I think we can agree on that. As far as what's next for the division, I mean, people are talking about maybe, you know, Dustin and Connor fighting for some kind of vacant belt. People are talking about where it puts Tony Ferguson, uh, a guy like Michael Chandler, who already the UFC holds in higher regards. Uh, and then there's Justin Gaethje, who, you know, beat yeah. Tony. 
What do you think is next for the division as far as, you know, who will be fighting for that belt and, um, you know, who, who, yeah, who's going to be fighting for that belt? Yeah. I, and, and I don't, I don't quite know the, um, the rules here. Obviously Justin lost, um, but the title is vacant and he was the most recent interim champion who is now still active. So Mm. I feel like that has to put him at the top of a very short list. I would, um, man, I personally don't know if, uh, if Tony... Is that Conor, Mc- Conor McGregor messaging you right now, John? <laughs> Mention me. Can you Laura. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. I might, I might flip over my hair. Um, sorry about that. Uh, no, I think, uh, I, I don't know. I feel bad saying this. I don't know if Tony's ever going to be the same again. Um, and I don't even know what I'm basing that off of, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm going to tune in to watch him fight, but just part of my, part of my mind is worried that, that that fight with Justin, um, really changed the trajectory of his career. Um, I love that Michael Chandler is in the division now. Love that. I think it adds a very interesting mix, but, um, We've seen, I think an interesting debate for a lot of people is where is the parity, you know, between Bellator and the UFC? And we have, we have some examples to go off of. And if past is prologue, um, for the most part, with some exceptions, for the most part, we have seen uh, Bellator champions be top 10 material for sure but not necessarily quite as dominant in the UFC as they have been in Bellator. I am anxious to see if Michael can buck that trend and come in here and really shake this division up because I think he'd make some interesting fights. I would like to see him fight Tony, actually. Um, I think that'd be a great fight. And then I can see Justin maybe facing the winner of uh, Poirier versus Connor. See, I just fixed everything. Wow, okay, so... Justin faces the winner of Poirier Connor, and you got yeah. Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson for, yeah. for their shot at being the other person that fights for the title. And I'd love to know, in that tournament scenario, who do you think actually ends up fighting for the title? Just to oh, follow that one up. So you got a tournament on one side, I guess you got, you know, you got your Connor, you got your Gaethje, and you got your Poirier. On the other side, you got your Chandler, and you got your Tony Ferguson. If you had to sort of imagine okay. who ends up in the last bracket oh, stuff. early picks laura so no pressure you guys you're really like <laughs> if you start seeing smoke come out of my ears because my brain's working too hard right and now by, and, and by the way we all realized uh, dustin poirier and conor mcgregor will be fighting for the title right there's no way dana white's <laughs> not gonna make that for the title i feel like we're wasting time here but let's just, just <laughs> he seems very uh, down today laura so i think that's the only thing that will pick up his move. Yeah. <laughs> Golly, I think, oh, there's so many X factors with Connor. Okay, I think an, a motivated, focused Connor beats, can beat Dustin. I think that, mm, I think that. Man, as long as Tony didn't get too changed by the Gaethje fight, I think Tony can get past Michael. And I think that we see Gaethje Connor. Oh, wouldn't that be kind of like the dream, the dream scenario? Yet again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
why I'm not a match. I think if Connor wins it, right, there's no way. If it's not already for the title, there's no way it's not going to be for the title, right? Unless something crazy happens. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I feel like Laura deserves a breather after that one. We're working her too hard. And I'll give you that one, Laura, when I remind everyone, before we talk about Robert Whittaker versus Jared Cannonier, to check out our new sponsor, Manscaped. They are offering the Lawnmower 3.0 and a fantastic package to keep your beans silky smooth. We can all attest, very happy beans at the moment. They've got the Lawnmower 3.0, and you can get 20% off right now with the code SUBMISSION, supporting your favorite MMA show and supporting the MMA community, Manscaped. I mean, just doing fantastic things, right, Dennis? Yeah, that's right, man. You mentioned it. Code submission. Go on there. It's manscaped.com. Not only do you get 20% off, but it's free shipping. Right now, over here, we're in lockdown. So don't make that lockdown make you make you smelly downstairs. You know, you got to protect the pocket rocket and beans. Make sure to go out there. Get your Manscaped. We got the product ourselves. And, man, I, I you know... I only had one testicle left after cutting one off with some scissors the other week, Cass. So it's nice that it's got an LED light and you're actually able to see what you're doing down there. Don't, you know, don't ruin your future by being cheap and silly. That's a 20% off. It's great value. And Manscaped is definitely one of the best out there. Waterproof. And also, I believe there's, Cass, 90 minutes uh, on a charge as well. So no more... Uh, Cheap trimmers dying in the middle of a shower <laughs> and you walking out with a weird situation downstairs. Go to manscaped.com, submission, get 20% off and free shipping. Do it now. Now, Laura, speaking of impressive performances. <laughs> I have so many questions after that ad. So many questions. We're here to answer what? all of them, Laura. Go for it. Is, are silky smooth beans the goal? Who takes a nice <laughs> shower? You could do, you could do, uh, you could do patterns. You could do the Tito Ortiz. You could do the wild thing from Major League. You can go anyway. Speed lines. You could do Kimbo strikes. Slice and just do the half. Game. Yeah. The arrow. The game Who's the pitch, fighter right? that shapes the arrow? I can't. Brian Ebersole. Yes. Brian Ebersole. <laughs> <laughs> the arrow makes things a lot easier. Draws the attention to the right areas. Yeah. <laughs> you can do a Roy Jones Jr. Just shave one half. Possibilities <laughs> <laughs> are endless. Just don't and cut off a testicle doing it. Shave the testicle off. Yeah, exactly. Don't shave off a testicle because they don't grow back, unfortunately. The other <laughs> stuff does. That doesn't. So Manscaped's great anyway, for it. Moving gotta, on. Gotta, yeah, well, I've got to say, um, we've got to talk about this Robert Whitaker, Jerry Cannonier fight as well. Because, yeah. man, I find this really interesting, Laura, and I want to get your thoughts on it as well. Um, it was a three-round fight, which I really think changed a lot of things. I would have really loved to see what would have happened if this was five rounds. Obviously, Robert Whitaker did a phenomenal job, landed a lot of great jabs. But Jack Kenny still had a bit of success with his leg kicks, still landed some good shots himself. What was your what were, what were your thoughts on Robert Whitaker in there against Jared Kananier and the way the sort of the fight played out? There was a little moment at the end there almost where Jared Kenny was able to capitalize a little bit, but ultimately Rob was able to get the job done. Yeah, I actually thought it was one of Rob's better performances um, of his career. And maybe I'm having some recency bias because I just watched it. But um, I thought, I just thought he looked very, he thought he looked relaxed. He looked confident uh, in everything that he was doing. In, and you saw that during fight week as well. He, he's such a respectful guy and is never one to talk shit, but you could tell when he was answering questions about how he thought the fight was going to play out with Jared. He was hard, having a hard time phrasing that I'm better than, like I'm just literally better than this guy everywhere. I'm mm. just, I'm going to run, I'm going to run through him. He wanted to say he's going to run through him. Now, I didn't before this fight. I, I, I thought it was going to be, you know, razor thin matchup. 
turned out not to be. I think I thought uh, Robert looked as relaxed as ever. I felt like he came in with a really solid game plan to uh, manage distance well, like he always does. Um, be able to dart in and out and avoid a lot of Cannoneer's power shots. And you know, when you make when you make someone miss, missing big shots is unbelievably exhausting. You know, and a lot of times when you shadow box or when you're hitting pads, you, you don't practice the exhaustion of throwing, you know, for instance, a full on power overhand and missing it. And what that does to like for your body to have to recoil after something like that. Um, it's exhausting. And I'm not saying I thought Jared was, was, you know, gassing cause he's in phenomenal shape, but I do think it can be mentally exhausting as well to start missing his, uh, his high kick, you know, looked as good as it ever does. <laughs> and that jab, as you say, was, was connecting as well. And he was just picking him apart for the most part until, you know, these, these, these few moments where Jared shows what Jared can do. And that's, you know, power that he has when he, when he is able to connect, but, Robert just did a phenomenal job of, of making those moments very few and far between. The kicks did seem to uh, potentially be something that could play a role later in the fight. And again, I think um, Robert was very aware of that and, and very smart in how he handled it, switching stances and, and, and uh, just managing that distance. Mm, absolutely. And it's interesting because as it stands in the middleweight division now, Whitaker versus Adesanya is the fight to make if we're looking at rankings and what makes sense in the near future. But every time Robert is asked about that fight, he's somewhat lukewarm. He wants the fight, <laughs> yeah. but he's kind of like, yeah, I'll fight him at some point. And it's interesting because if, if not now, then what would even make sense for Robert next, right? He's he's ranked at the top. He beat the only other guy really in contention. It's got to be that fight. But then with Adesanya, it looks like he's taking the rest of the year off. And who knows, maybe he will actually come back and fight at light heavyweight. So Based on this performance, Laura, or his last two, I should say, is there anything that leads you to believe that Whitaker would have better success against Adesanya if they had a rematch? And what gets you more excited? The idea of them doing a rematch or Adesanya moving up to light heavyweight, maybe taking on Yarn, or maybe shocking us all and just meeting John Jones at heavyweight sometime <laughs> next year? <laughs> oh, my goodness. For whatever reason, the fight with Jan does not do it for me. The fight with John does it for me. I think I'm one of those people that kind of, I do get drawn into the soap opera and I like a good, you know, build up to a fight. I'm not going to lie. I, I also like a good respectful build up to a fight. Like we have it could be with Justin, but there's something fun about two guys, you know, getting back and forth with each other. Um, I, 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 the rematch, if, if we're talking about the middleweight division, the rematch with Robert is the one that makes sense. I mean, that that is, as you said, that all, all paths have led to that moment. Um, it sounds though like Rob really wants to take some time off as well. He's got uh, a baby on the way and he's been really open. I, he's a very honest guy when it comes to what's going on in his mind. And he looked great tonight because I think he trained uh, in the way that he wanted to train and he wasn't burned out. But I think that, you know, again, too many back-to-back -back camps and he's going to be in the same spot where he was before. So I think I think a second fight with Israel could potentially look different because anytime you go in there the second time, you, you know so much more about what you're walking into and, and what you have to deal with. And I think it could look different. I do think Israel is incredible i mean we've we've had those conversations obviously um i would love to see that fight again i really would it's interesting yeah you mentioned it. he's got the newborn on the way and he mentioned he wants to focus on christmas and i kind of 
in a lot of ways, this is good news for Robert Whitaker fans because we all know he's really had to deal with a lot of mental issues in terms of, you know, dealing with pressures of the fight and how it's affected his personal life. And you can see now that he's sort of separated both things. You know, he's got Christmas, he's got his newborn, and he says, I don't want to focus on fighting when I got Christmas coming up. I don't want to focus on fighting when I got my newborn coming up. And I think that was the big problem before. Reading a lot of the stuff that we've read and speaking to a lot of the times that we've spoken to him, it seems like the fighting really crossed into his personal life and really affected his moods and the way that he felt about it. So it's great to see that he's handling it from that perspective. If the John Jones fight and the Yarn fight doesn't happen, though, Laura, we've got this uh, Till Hermanson fight coming up in December. One of those guys walks out of there, especially in Hermanson, unharmed, unhurt. Do you see a potential scenario where Israel potentially defends his title against one of those guys first before Robert Whitaker steps in there later on in 2021? Potentially. I think if Robert is not in the picture, though, I think that that is where we will see Israel start looking at light heavyweight. I don't, and again, I'm not basing that on anything. It's just my, my gut reaction. I think that he is, you know, He's excited. He, he's excited to start dancing around in these divisions a little bit the same way that, that John is kind of looking to bigger, broader pastures. And I don't mind it. I, I understand the need for continuity and divisions and to have clear paths that people can work toward becoming champion. But I love a good super fight. I'm a sucker for a super fight. So I'm, I'm with it. I'm about it. And as we wrap up, Laura, just quickly, uh, possibly one of the greatest characters in the UFC right now, Ty Tuivasa, was able to pick up a very impressive winner over Stefan Struve, a veteran that's been in there forever and fought the best of the best. Um, I know this could, was this the first time you've gotten an opportunity to spend a fight week around Ty? I just, no. I just love to know. Do you have any stories of being around him? Because the guy is an absolute legend and is just hilarious to be around during. Fight and you're week. no stranger to a shoey either, Laura. I'm not. I'm not. And that Stewie that you saw was not the first Stewie I've done with Ty either. He, he's like, <laughs> I swear to God, if there is, um, if there's a good time and any amount of alcohol, he's he just sort of appears. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't even like know. Like Beetlejuice. Yes. They yes. <laughs> Stewie three times, and and he just like he's just there. Uh, yeah, no, Ty, Ty is one of my favorite people. I mean, you don't get more affable and just, he's just so easy to be around. He's so, he's so funny. And I, um, I, I actually have a really embarrassing story about Ty. It doesn't involve Ty, but it does involve an Australian, um, rugby player. If you don't mind me telling you the story. Of course. Time. So I, <laughs> I used to have, um, this podcast for lack of a better term that I would do with Megan Anderson mm -hmm. and I am friends to a degree with Eric Groth Jr. not Eric Groth Sr. but Eric Groth Jr. Uh, through Instagram and we've done a podcast together as well and I don't know if you follow him at all on Instagram but he has quite the sense of humor and I hit him up and I was like, hey, we're going to be talking about Ty. Like, do you have any interesting stories from, because I know that they, I think they briefly, and I mean like really briefly played uh, footy around the same time. But he said, he's like, no, I don't really know him that well. He said, I, he said, although I do have just an interesting like nugget about him. He said, you won't, you, you would never believe this, but he is like mad about, <laughs> he's like mad about toy trains. <laughs> <laughs> no way! <laughs> he goes, 
He goes, he has an entire um, model train set in his garage. And like, went into great detail. He's like, oh yeah, he started working on it like back in the day. And no one really knows about it because it's like, obviously not like the coolest thing, but he's obsessed with model trains. And I was like, oh my gosh, Eric, thank you so much. This is such a great, interesting nugget. I've never heard this about time before. So I talk about it on the podcast. And then Eric goes, I was just joking. I thought you <laughs> <laughs> when I went on this podcast, I was like, you'll never believe what I know about Ty <laughs> So you said this to Megan on your podcast. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Which, I mean, thank God, like, <laughs> only maybe 15,000 or so people saw it. Oh, but yeah. I, just, I was just completely... I thought I had a credible source, and I, I was so mad. I was like, you can't make, like, this is my job. I can't look like I just make shit up. <laughs> but I told, I, t- I saw Ty in Vegas uh, several months after that, and I told him the story, and he was just about pissing himself. Um, yeah, so that's my that's my embarrassing die to the story but i've done several shows with him he's a great guy i i and i'm super happy for his victory tonight he looked awesome he looked confident in his grappling and i mean stefan Struve is such an awkward uh an awkward fight for anybody but particularly someone who's a little bit shorter for the division like ty but he just he handled him and he's he's got that power and it's just so nice to see him back back in his stride yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, there's probably a few people that got smashed in the bar that went up to Ty going, hey, man, what if there's this, this little toy train that you love to collect and they never made it quite out of there. We know he, he likes he likes those pub fights. But yeah, guys, make sure to follow Laura underscore Sanko on IG and Twitter. And, and no matter what you hear about toy trains, she's definitely one of the best out there. We appreciate you staying up late, giving us the stories on Sanko Island. 2.30 in the morning. It's a pleasure. Laura, thank you so much for joining us on Submission Radio. Thank you guys for having me. Always a blast. I appreciate it. 